It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for coming in, Mr. Mahoney. Do you have your member ID card? Yep, I have it right here in the FEP Blue app. See? Great. It's awesome. The app can also help me find a provider and keep tabs on my deductibles. Okay, can I... Oh, yeah, and my out-of-pocket spending and visit limits, and I can call the nurse line. I'm really glad it does all that, but I only need to see your member ID card. Oh, that's it? Why didn't you say so? Fearless is just one tap away. With the new FEP Blue app from Blue Cross and Blue Shield, you can access your health benefits on the go. Download it now at fepblue.org slash app. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am very, very proud of this football team. The way they fought, the way that we, we bat all day long. Okay, we had a kickoff return for a touchdown. Patterson will bring it out. Full head of steam. He's gone. Patterson, what a start to the half. Touchdown, Minnesota. Special teams. A score for the Vikings. We had an interception for a touchdown. Right. Sits in, pass picked off, intercepted by Rhodes. Xavier Rhodes down the sideline and good by touchdown. Vikings, no flags. We we scored on offense, right? We scored all three phases of the ball game. Bradford to the end zone, Phelan incomplete. And Phelan believes that was good. touchdown and it looks like this will be a touchdown what a catch okay now i'm proud of you let's keep going okay let's get back to playing this is this is how the vikings play football right play together as a team you bust your rear end you take it down hey if it gets down the wire so be it we go out we, we figure out a way to win the vikings are back in the saddle a win yesterday moves them to six and four full breakdown coming your way on locked on vikings Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Sam Ekstrom, the host at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Joined, as always on Mondays, by former NFL QB and current Iowa High School Athletic Association Hall of Famer Sage Rosenfeld. Sage, what's new? Well, I got a little egg on my face this morning since I, on on Friday, chose the Vikings to lose by about a touchdown. Uh, And they... uh, they went out and got a great win, a huge win for that organization, huge win for that team, and uh, happy to be 6-4 and four this morning rather than 5-5. Five and five. Two teams that absolutely needed that W, and the Vikings come away with the home win 30-24 to 24 in a game that they rarely trailed, though they bent for sure, Sage. I mean, they allowed a lot of yardage. Arizona ran the ball very effectively in the first half. David Johnson gashing the defense for rush yards in the first half, but then that second half kick return by Cordero Patterson to get things started really swung things because Arizona only ran it six times after halftime because of that double-digit deficit. Minnesota got after the passer. They flustered Carson Palmer enough to hang on there at the end. It was the first time the Vikings had really rediscovered the pass rush And then the defensive and special team swagger, you know, scoring in all three phases, rushing the quarterback. That's what we saw in the first five games. 
Well, this is the formula for Vikings wins almost every single time this year. It's not their offense carrying them. It's their defense and special teams carrying them and their offense doing uh, enough to be effective and, and not turning the ball over too many times. Uh, you know, they won the turnover battle two to one. And uh, obviously when they have the lead, that's when the pass rush, which is one of the strengths of the de- defense, uh, you know, can, can take hold. And, uh, but when they're losing in the, say, the second half, they struggle a little bit to stop the run. But when they have a lead by either touchdown or, or 10 points, that's when the DBs can be aggressive. That's when the defensive line can be aggressive. And it sort of played perfectly into the strategy of the Vikings. Daniil Hunter, two sacks. Harrison Smith, the sack. Brian Robison, a sack. And we've seen different numbers on how many times they hit Carson Palmer. But, I mean, they were definitely in that backfield constantly. They hit him anywhere between... 15 and 20 times, maybe even as high as 23, depending on where you look. But they were all over the veteran quarterback. I found it very interesting how much they used the Wildcat formation. They used it five times yesterday and had some really nice results out of it. Matt Asiata had a nine-yard run. Jerick McKinnon had a five-yard run, I think. And then they used a reverse flea flicker play where they threw it deep to Adam Thielen, and Thielen got interfered with for about a 35-yard gain. Vikings getting awfully creative with that Wildcat, and I'm curious if you ever overlapped with the Wildcat era in Miami. Uh, I did not. Uh, you know That was Tony Sperano, though. If you want to know one thing that he has probably added to this team a little more in the offseason is you know, he was part of that original Wildcat offense down there with the Miami Dolphins, uh, and it was against the New England Patriots, and uh, he was a part of that team. He was the head coach, and uh, so obviously he's – very well versed in it. And I think right now, you know, Pat Shermer and this offense, they're just looking for any way to score points, any way to be effective and get first downs. Uh, and when you do go to the Wildcat, one advantage it does give you is it gets the quarterback out wide, uh, sort of a wide receiver, which, of course, no one almost ever throws them the ball. But it, it brings a safety or a linebacker or a corner out of the box and say, so from a you know, from a strategy and X's and O's standpoint, you have a one less defender, uh, one less run defender in the box, and you'd have a, a good clean box to run the football. So uh, it's, it's definitely an advantage for an offense to do it. The problem is, for most good teams, the best player on the offense or one of the best players is the quarterback. And so uh, you're going to you know, get into a formation where the, your best player has no chance of, of having the football. So that's why so few, few teams do it. I know like Bill Belichick has sort of joked around, you know, why would I ever want to take the ball out of uh, Tom Brady's hands? He's the best player in the NFL or he's the best player in their team. So uh, it's effective, you know, here and there. Uh, and I think five times is a lot to run in the, in the game, which is fine. Uh, but over the long haul, it's usually not going to get you a lot of wins because, as I said, uh, the best teams, usually the quarterback, you want the ball in his hands every single play. It was really a slow play by the Vikings. You know, they use this formation seldomly for the first nine games. All they do is run out of it. They really didn't do anything too gimmicky. But then suddenly they set it up yesterday for that trick flea flicker play that, that got them a lot of yardage. I'm wondering what the next progression is. Is, is Jarek McKinnon an option to pass the football? He's obviously a, a triple option college quarterback, can probably throw a decent spiral. Is Sam Bradford maybe a threat to run a pattern? That's what I'm curious about. Can Russell Wilson scored a TD yesterday. Can Sam Bradford get in the end zone? Well, I think Sam Bradford getting the end zone has a smaller chance than uh, Jarek McKinnon throwing a pass. Uh, you will see 
Uh, if a running back can throw, it definitely adds another element uh, to the Wildcat. Uh, you know, Darren McFadden and, and our, way back at our, his Arkansas days, that's where this whole thing started, actually. The, uh, the quarterback coach or offensive coordinator from that, those Arkansas teams with McFadden uh, went to the Miami Dolphins, and, and McFadden could throw the football. Uh, and he threw it very, very well. And, and that was uh, shocking to teams that a running back could throw as well as, as he could. So, yeah, there's going to be some opportunities when they run these top, these sort of sweeps out of the Wildcat that uh, McKinnon or whatever other running backs back there that, that can throw uh, will have an opportunity to throw the football. Cordero Patterson yesterday from an offensive standpoint was terrific again, in my view. He was he was active in running patterns. He was using that wildcat a lot, sort of as a diversion. But yards after catch, you know, tough grabs, obviously splashing on special teams. He just continues his resurgence. And yesterday he did it with the help of some some customized socks. Had socks with his own image emblazoned on them. Uh, say what you will about hubris, but it seemed to work for Cordero Patterson. His spark continues to, I think, really uh, invigorate this team, Sage. Yeah, he really has. You know, I know about, uh, I don't know if it was last year, but I was talking with Paul Allen on his radio show about, you know, uh, Cordell Patterson's, you know, possible short-lived NFL career. You know, he's so good on kickoff returns, but at the time, he was really doing nothing else. He wasn't uh, uh, really on other special teams. He wasn't much of a wide receiver. He had not developed in, in any sort of wide receiver. He was just a kickoff returner, and I said to Paul Allen, I said, you know, if he uh, pulls a hamstring, uh, he will be out of the NFL fairly quickly. And, and over time, uh, players do just get slower. So uh, the, the kickoff return guy has to have uh, that extra extra speed. And if, if and when he ever loses that, he's not going to be in the league very much longer. So he has definitely uh, stepped up. He's an excellent gunner on the punt team. Uh, he's great, obviously, still on kickoff returns. Uh, he's been more effective uh, as a wide receiver, whether just throwing actual just regular routes uh, or obviously all the, all the wide receiver screens and reverses and those types of gadgets that they work him in. So he has made himself a valuable asset to this football team and not just our kickoff returns. He scores on his only kickoff return of the day, 104 yards to begin the second half. But another special team's concern maybe Kai Forbath in his debut in purple, first of all, he elicited the loudest ovation for an extra point in NFL history when he made his first one. That was pretty funny. But then he goes on to have an extra point blocked on what appeared to be a slowed-down operation, not quite in rhythm. And then two of his kickoffs yesterday were wacky in the sense that they were low-line drives that were easily returnable, and Arizona actually did have one very good return into Vikings territory. You know, if you're going to kick it short, it has to be up high, and Forbath didn't do that. So we took for granted with Blair Walsh that kickoffs were going to be good. That was really not a problem for him, but it seems to be something we'll have to think about with Kai Forbath. Well, yeah, you know, Blair Walsh was obviously struggled with the, with the field goals and extra points, but, man, his kickoffs were some of the best in the NFL. Uh, since he's been in the league, he has one of the strongest legs in the NFL. So uh, that is going to be a, a different concern for this Vikings coaching staff if Kai Forbath can't regularly kick it through the end zone. And, and obviously their kickoff team is going to have to be uh, good in coverage as, uh, uh, you know, that, that could always be an issue you know, in the NFL. So uh, nice to get him uh, off to some kicks. Obviously got a 
figure out that 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 blocked uh, you know kick they had early in that football game, and and uh, but it's nice to have him make his first kicks of the year. Forbath was routinely in the bottom 25% in touchback percentage when he was playing in Washington. So this is nothing new. There was some discussion about whether they wanted to have Jeff Locke do the kickoffs. I've never really seen him kick off a tee before, but Prefer said that he's been doing so well with punts that he doesn't want him to want to mess with his mind. And after yesterday, that's uh, reinforced, I think, with Jeff Locke delivering a 72-yard punt right when they needed it at the very end of that game to back Arizona up. So uh, Minnesota special teams pros and cons from yesterday's ball game. Well, uh, another another pro, uh, we talked about uh, Locke's punt yesterday. You know, the, the Vikings averaged almost 10 yards further uh, per punt than the Arizona Cardinals. And over the course of the game, uh, you know, eight, nine punts, that's 90 yards that they had just from their the difference of their punters yesterday. So advantage Vikings and and obviously the special teams and the defense uh, and the offense too, but the special teams came up big yesterday. Well, I don't know if he's the X factor from yesterday's game, but it really helps to have Marcus Sherrill's back. He's been banged up for the past three weeks or so, and he had a one really good return to get the first drive set up in Arizona territory. Then he had another return that got nullified due to a block in the back, but having him, that, that's a huge yeah. addition. Well, Marcus Sherrills is fearless back there, and it is great to have him back. And, and uh, you know, he is turned into uh, from a guy who is just good at basically catching punts and getting a few yards to a very, very dangerous punt returner. So right now the Vikings have two of the more dangerous returners in the NFL, Patterson uh, and Sherrills. Who would your X factor be from yesterday's game, Sage? I'll say it is Daniil Hunter. Daniil Hunter, the second-year player out of LSU who had a hot start to the season, scored a touchdown in the Tennessee game, had a safety in the Carolina game, then really hadn't been heard from for a few weeks. It was important to get him involved again, and he really discovered that pass rush yesterday against Carson Palmer. It seemed like the Vikings, and I'll have to ask Mike Zimmer about this, it seemed like they were spreading their front four out a little bit wider, getting outside of those tackles, preventing Palmer from getting out of the pocket, making sure he stayed contained, but also showing a different look in terms of their rush lanes. And it definitely worked yesterday as Hunter, not only did he have two sacks, but he had numerous pressures. I love the performance from the athletic kid in his second year. Who's your X Factor, Sage? Well, I'm going to go with a couple of guys from the secondary. One, Captain Munnerlin on the best uh, holding non-call of the day, uh, <laughs> which turned into uh, the interception, of course. Holding was not called uh, on that interception. And obviously, Xavier Rhodes, you know, I think the NFL, I, a lot of the players and coaches have known since he's gotten the league that he's an excellent corner and he's not having an outstanding season. But uh, it's nice that the, the rest of the NFL, the rest of the, the fan base uh, of the league, is really seeing how good a guy, how good a player he is. Xavier Rhodes is one heck of a corner, and uh, he's been a great all year. Uh, he's given tough duty, a lot of man-to-man coverage. He also could come up and tackle. He is an outstanding corner, and for him to get that uh, that that interception return yesterday for really a minimum ten, if not a fourteen-point swing, that was the play in the ball game. Yeah, two things here. First of all, on Rhodes, I don't think he allowed a completion yesterday. And it's really good to see him hanging on to some of these interceptable balls. For three seasons, Rhodes was, for the most part, very good at coverage, but he had a hard time catching interceptions. I think he had two in three seasons. This year, he has four. 
and a number of them have been very difficult catches. A diving catch against Philadelphia, a diving catch yesterday on that deep ball to Michael Floyd, and obviously the, the catch and run for 100 yards yesterday on the John Brown play. Now, on that play, you mentioned the holding call. Well, Carson Palmer called it out after the game. He said he thought it was a clear holding call. And then late last night, Captain Munerlin jumps on Twitter to defend himself, quote, I don't know what Carson talking about shaking my head. That wasn't a flag on me. I was covering my guy. I jammed him up and let him go. It's not my fault he couldn't get off the jam. I didn't grab him at all. Just jammed him and let go. There's Captain's take on it. I mean, it might have been a little over five yards, but, uh, you know, sometimes the uh, best guys just do things in a subtle enough way they get away with it. Well, and he's a veteran, but, you know, I, I look at that route, uh, and the wide receiver, you know, pretty much just runs right into Munderland. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a quarterback, so uh, definitely I always give, give, uh, give leniency to the offense. But when, it, when a receiver basically runs into the DB, I mean, what do you want the DB to do, get out of the way? Uh, so, yes, the contact was after five yards, but in my opinion, uh, the receiver really made that contact. It was not the defensive back. So I, I actually don't think it was much of a – I don't think it really was a missed call. I mean, there was obviously contact there, but I think the contact was more offensive than defensive. There was a call against Patrick Peterson yesterday. So Sam Bradford is standing along the sideline as a wide receiver. The play starts. Jerick McKinnon's doing his thing. And Peterson levels Bradford, who's lined up as a wide receiver and gets flagged for unnecessary roughness. By the rule book, I think Bradford is can, is legally susceptible to being hit right there, is he not? Well, yes, he is. I mean, he's basically a ball carrier, a wide receiver, once he gets out of the pocket. I think the, the difference is that everyone, everybody knows, and the NFL has made this clear, they will try to protect the quarterbacks if possible. And, uh, and I think that the phrase is what it was called, unnecessary roughness. Was it, did you necessarily need to hit the quarterback uh, that hard? And that, that probably was unnecessary. So, uh, yes, it's, 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 you'd like to think that, uh, you know, a quarterback out wide should be treated as a wide receiver or as a running back or, or whatever. But, um, you know, what is necessary in the NFL and the, the officials are doing whatever they can to, you know, protect these quarterbacks. Um, and uh, I don't think that uh, you know that type of hit was necessary, per se. It wasn't a great day for the officials altogether. I think both teams had their fair share of gripes. There was that call I just referenced with Peterson. Then there was another unnecessary roughness call on Stefan Diggs along the sideline that, that drew some scrutiny. There were two touchdowns that the officials missed, and Mike Zimmer had to challenge both of them. And then there was the John Brown play. And then at the very end, there was a roughing the passer call that extended the game for Arizona. So uh, I think both ways, you know, you can probably gripe here and there. And, and usually, Sage, it, it ends up evening out in this league. It does. And, uh, you know, Arizona has been struggling this year. And, and uh, you know, they, they've a lot of times you sort of make your calls. And when you play on the road uh, in the NFL, you're not going to get too many calls. And so, you know, usually bad calls even out. And, and none were on, like, a key play in the, in the game. And, say, late in the fourth quarter on a, on a game-time, uh, you know, touchdown or anything. So, you know, bad calls usually even out. And, you know, the Vikings earned this victory. Uh, Arizona lost this football game. They, they were playing a team. Arizona had a great opportunity to play the Vikings, uh, obviously, on the road. But after losing four in a row, you, you weren't seeing much hope uh, on this Vikings team going into this game. And Arizona had a shot. And 
they're not playing great football this year either, and, and uh, uh, Vikings got a great win. One more question about officiating for you. Did you have a crew that you preferred or you really appreciated because maybe they were good at explanations or maybe they always called a fair game? Did you sort of have a, a ranking system in your head of which officials you liked? No, not really. But, uh, you know, there were definitely some officials who would, you, know, you, you see a lot of times after timeouts or during timeouts, the official, you know, near the, the huddle of the offense. And I always liked officials that were a little bit more talkative to the quarterback. And and uh, and then some officials were, were fairly cold and just called the game. And when you wanted to talk to them about something, they didn't want to hear it. I always liked the ones that were happy to have a little bit of a discussion and, and, uh, and, and whatever. So, Probably my favorite official now that I'm done playing is probably Cleet Blakeman, uh, who was a super who was a Super Bowl official last year. Just because uh, I work out at the same gym with him here in Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> no way. Cleet's a lawyer here in Omaha, and uh, I ran to him when I first moved here a couple years ago, and I was like, "Hey, you you look uh, you look familiar." I did, I did not know I, he lived here, so it's really strange to realize that all these officials have uh, you know day jobs somewhere else and careers and own companies and. Uh, you know, those types of things. And, yeah, he's a lawyer here in Omaha, Nebraska. I swear they're all lawyers. I, I think Hockley's a lawyer. I want to say Mike Pereira was a lawyer, too. I, I think they're all in law somehow. They're all good at justice and enforcing rules. Well, yeah, lawyers and uh, a lot of accountants also are they own accounting companies. And I think a lot of that has to do with all the rules in the NFL. Uh, and they have to obviously memorize them and, uh, and know them very, very well and then enforce them correctly uh, and then read them off you know almost perfectly uh sort of like the law book and so yeah a lot of lawyers and a lot of accountants and and people following the rules uh in the nfl and the, and the officiating crews interesting interesting it's locked on vikings locked on podcast network subscribe on itunes leave a rating leave a review and locked on lions with matt Derry coming up this week a short week vikings and lions play on thanksgiving daddy where do babies come from uh, well, uh... Honey? Mommy went to the store. Oh, well, you see, um... Well, there's a mommy and a daddy, right? Right. And see, when they call Geico, uh, they could save a bunch of money on car insurance. Oh, really? And that makes them happy? Yes, that makes them very happy. That's good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we could have this talk, sunshine. <laughs> Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. Quickly, Sage, before you go, I know you have a flight to catch. Other takeaways from yesterday's action? A lot of good football played. Also, some very ugly football played. Uh, that Buffalo-Cincinnati game was hideous. That Miami-LA game at one point, the two teams were one of 19 on third down conversions. But there was some pretty exciting football played yesterday. Uh, what else did you notice? Well, Washington's a very good football team. Kirk Cousins is going to get a monster contract. He's not the best NFL uh, quarterback, but he might get paid as if he's the best uh, quarterback in the league. Uh, he's he's playing very very good football right now, and and you know that that NFC East is a monster. You know, Philadelphia is five hundred, and they're in fourth place in that division. Obviously, Dallas uh, is is very very good. It looks right now that every and everyone's talking about it. It looks like a Dallas. Uh, Seattle uh, as the two strongest teams in the NFC this year uh, who are playing really good football. Dak Prescott, extremely impressive again, you know, unbelievable. Somehow the Giants, who I don't think are really that good, uh, keep winning. That that win earlier by the Vikings this year is looking better and better. So uh, some really good games yesterday. Uh, I think people are 
you know, past the election and everything, and I think the, the ratings are going to come back now for the NFL. The games are getting really good, getting really competitive. And there's, a, there's also some really bad football teams out there. Uh, San Francisco is bad, and obviously the Cleveland Browns are terrible. So uh, it's an interesting mix, but uh, there's some good divisions. The AFC West and the, and the NFC East, I think, are the best divisions in football, and it uh, should be really fun uh, this Thanksgiving and, and this December in the, in the playoff push. Is Green Bay done? I think so. I mean, I just don't know how they're going to turn around. I mean, they're going to – their defense has, has, has totally failed them the last few weeks. Uh, you know, earlier in the year, I think after about five games, their defense was ranked about sixth in the league. Uh, they have really fallen off and become, again, one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Uh, I think Ted Thompson's going to be on the hot seat here a little bit. He is not uh, armed. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and that team with a, with a really good roster. So, yeah, I think uh, – I think this NFC North is between the Vikings and the Lions and two good football teams. They got a big game coming up here in a, here in a week. The division lead on the line on Turkey Day. Just three days from now, short week for the Vikings. We'll have updates for you tomorrow and Wednesday. And then to be determined on our show schedule for the rest of the week with the holiday coming up, we'll see what we have in store for you. But for now... He's Sage Rosenfels, at Sage Rosenfels18 on Twitter. I'm Sam Ekstrom, at Sam Ekstrom. Subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and a review. This is Locked On Vikings, and this is the Locked On Podcast Network. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.